side of the bulletin. And this scripture is a very famous one, which I am surprised I've never preached on. Uh, John 3, 1 through, uh, excuse me, 13 through 18. Uh, John 3, 13 through 18. In fact, I actually want to read the full text with Nicodemus, John 3, 1, uh, all the way through 18. So um, give me one second to find that. I thought that was in the bulletin. So you're not going to have that text, but I want to go ahead and read all of it. This is what we would call in church terms an audible. I'm calling an audible. It's not only on the, uh, on the pitch there. All right, John 3, 1 through 18. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The word of the Lord. Something has gotten into Nicodemus. Something very strange. Politically suicidal, we might even call it. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious power player in Jerusalem. So not only is he zealous about the law, but he's a member of the religious council, the great Sanhedrin, of which there are only 71 people who are the rulers of Israel. It would be akin, I guess, to the Senate. Jesus has just, in fact, recently, this passage before, gone into the temple and become public enemy number one by clearing out the money changers. There is a large target on his head. He has been condemned. In fact, a message has been gone out to the people that anyone who supports this man will be thrown out of the synagogue. And yet here is Nicodemus, late at night, 
coming to visit with Jesus. As it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. What has driven Nicodemus to take this risk? He'd never come in day, of course. He comes at night under the cover of night. And yet, there's something about the way that this person speaks that's drawing him, that's pulling his heart. He has to know the answer. See, he knows that this Jesus has come from God. He's watched what he's said. He's watched what he's done. And above all, he wants to know this God, who he is and what he wants of him. That's the heart of Nicodemus. Do you have a message for me, Jesus? For I need to know God. Even though Nicodemus, on the face of it, has everything he could possibly need. He's reached the pinnacle of society. Indeed, not only is he religious and powerful, he's also wealthy. If you'll remember, this is the same Nicodemus who asks for Jesus, uh, asked Pilate for Jesus' body and gives him a royal burial in his own tomb. But there's something scratching at Nicodemus' heart. Jesus answers uh, a Nicodemus with an answer, even though Nicodemus hasn't even asked a question. Isn't that interesting? Nicodemus makes a statement. We know that you're a teacher sent from God, for no one could do what you have done unless God has sent him. And it says that Jesus answers him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus has a way of looking through a person to the heart, to what's really going on inside of them. And he answers the question of Nicodemus' heart. How can I see the kingdom of God? What does it mean that Nicodemus is hungering for the kingdom of God to see it? It means that Nicodemus knows in his heart of hearts, though he may not be able to articulate it, that his home is not here. At least the home that he's looking for. That there is another realm, another place, another reality that he's searching for. A place where God rules and reigns. A place where there is peace on earth. A place where there is the right king on the throne and all is right. You know, the earth actually started this way, didn't it? When God created the first man and woman and there was harmony and God walked with them and the world was described, at least that portion of it, as paradise. Nicodemus is acutely aware that paradise has been lost. So appreciate C.S. Lewis. He spoke about this scratching this longing in our hearts perhaps you have felt it yourself he says in speaking of this desire for our own far-off country which we find in ourselves even now I feel a certain shyness I'm almost committing an indecency I'm trying to open the inconsolable secret in each one of you the secret which hurts so much that you take revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence the secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward 
and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it. And we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if that has settled the matter. Words were a expedient was to identify it with certain moments in his own past, but all this is a cheat. If Wordsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered, he would turn out to be itself a remembering. The book or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in, in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing themselves. They are only the secret of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. This is the heart of Nicodemus as he comes to God. Has that ever been your heart? Isn't it interesting that if you look at your life, doesn't it seem like humanity is always trying to build paradise? Always trying to create peace and beauty and harmony. Cobbling together pieces of tin and used up pieces of things, trying to bring them together. And yet we never can. It's like we've trying to construct something that we have forgotten about. And yet we can't stop the longing for it. I think that's what's driving Nicodemus' heart as he comes to Jesus in the dead of night. And Jesus intends to speak to Nicodemus' heart and he intends to speak to ours. What is it that we're really longing for? It's reunion. It's union with God. Lewis said, apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor, beyond all our merits, and also the healing of that old ache. Nicodemus, whether he realizes it or not, has come to the door and come to the gatekeeper who is about to show him the way. I was at the airport a couple days ago to pick up my lovely mother, who is here, Judy Rodriguez, the extremely talented and beautiful Judy Rodriguez. And it's always wonderful when you sit there, you know, you no longer get to go in the gate, do you, right? You, you stand on the outside, and so everybody, you know, instead of people being scattered, everybody's right there. You know, and you see the, the people waiting in particular for the military guys to come through. I love seeing those, and my mom was late, and I got to witness several sort of beautiful exchanges as either a woman or a child was waiting for someone to come. I think we have actually a couple of pictures uh, of this. Uh, I know we're excited for one uh, 
a couple of folks coming. I know Mr. Steenson will be coming very soon. Paul Nelson is coming soon. Uh, you know, but these beautiful pictures, this one is iconic. I love seeing it. This is from the Vietnam era uh, of this sort of homecoming and reunion. This is what Nicodemus is coming to ask about. And I think this is what we're coming to Christmas to ask about. We all have a longing to be reunited. And at our heart of hearts, the one we want to be reunited with is the one that made us. And so what are we to do with the longing? We could ignore it. I guess we could bury it and try to find it in some other way. Or maybe like Nicodemus, you too have come in to ask the question, where can I find the door that leads to the kingdom of God? Because there is another realm. There is another ruler. And Jesus came to show the way, even more to be the way. And so in order to walk through, we must be like Nicodemus. We must come to the one who came to show the path Jesus. I love Jesus' response. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus with his compass. It's like he's seeking information. I need a little redirection to find my way to the path. Can you give me some information? And Jesus knocks him back with this phrase that what you need is not more information. What you need is transformation. You see, you must be born again. How do you get there on the map? Nicodemus must be thinking. I, I don't understand. Jesus answered again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. No, Nicodemus, it's not rehabilitation. It's not restitution. It's not rededication to religious practice or a new path. No, what is needed is resurrection, rebirth. Nicodemus is incredulous. And the world is incredulous as well, right? So interesting when it's Christmas and you start seeing for the one time of the year pictures of Jesus on the magazine shelves next to Cosmopolitan, right? Who was this Jesus? And if you read the articles, they all seem to steer toward this. He showed us another better way to live. He gave us better information. But Jesus isn't saying that at all. In fact, he's saying you have to be born again. And we all know to be born again, you have to die. Born again. How can one be born again, Nicodemus said. Using hyperbole, surely you can't go into your mother's womb another time and come out. And if you have to be born again, the question is born by who? For no one births themselves, do they? Jesus said, I tell you, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Now remember, Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee, so immediately a passage would come to mind. Ezekiel 36, 24. Speaking to the Israelites, God's people who have been exiled and sent off 
as the prophet Ezekiel speaks from God and tells them what God is going to do. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Nicodemus would understand that Jesus is talking to him about a new heart and a new cleansing. The problem with mankind, the problem with Nicodemus is the problem of rebellion and sin. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That each one of us has said to God, thanks but no thanks. Each has turned to his own way. Each has gone his own way. We all, like sinners, have gone astray, each to his own way. And like the original man and woman cast out of the Garden of Eden, we all live in a foreign land, having difficulty even remembering that original land we were intended for. We walk in the way we shouldn't. We don't love God with our hearts. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. I appreciate the confession that Alex shared because I think it speaks to our hearts if we're honest. What I need is not new behavior. What I need is a new heart. I don't need a new path to walk. I need a new Carlos. For it's only when there's a new me, a cleansed me, a reorientation of the compass of my heart toward God instead of away from Him that I can walk toward Him. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when He talked about water and the Spirit. But I can't help but think of another time in the New Testament when the water and the Spirit are mentioned in the same phrase. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the first thing that He does, remember John the Baptist, I baptize you with water. But one will come among you who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came to him, look, the Lamb of God. And Jesus said, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus, you committed no sin. You need no cleansing. Let it be so, Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness. For I am going to stand in the path of man, in the place of man. And as Jesus goes into the water and comes out, the Spirit descends upon him. And God speaks and says, This is my Son, who I am well pleased with. The one who I have sent. Listen to Him. See, what Jesus is really saying to Nicodemus is you must be born again with a new spirit and with a new baptism. My baptism. The cleansing that you seek, this washing of water, only comes when my blood is spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. Nicodemus says, I don't understand. Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness, but you don't receive our testimony. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Your eyes are darkened, Nicodemus. You cannot see, but I can see. 
and I have come down. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man may be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Nicodemus would understand, for it was when the people led, out of the desert, led into the desert from Egypt rebelled against God that God sent snakes upon the people of Israel. And as they were being killed, quickly God told Moses to raise up a serpent on a staff, a bronze serpent, and all who looked to it would be saved. Oh, Nicodemus, I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up on a cross. And I must die that my blood, my baptism would rebirth you into a new realm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in the order that the world might be saved through him. I don't know if you saw this tragic article. I was... Um, I saw it. It, it, it. Actually, I think it happened last night, and it's about a, a guy. His name is Kieran Lister. He's in Britain. He was found dead last night. Left a heartbreaking message on Facebook. Basically, had been dating this girl for two, hour, uh, two years, and um, and uh, she broke up with him. And he loved her so much. He put so much of himself into her that he found that he could no longer live. He could no longer go on. He wrote this post, I don't know what to do anymore. He said to himself, he said to uh, the people here, I don't know what to do anymore. My girlfriend over two years, yes, you may think it's a short period. He's even having to justify himself with his death message or feels his need, has decided we aren't good for each other anymore. Two years is a long time to, be, to bond, to be happy with. And I find that I cannot go on with life anymore. And so he communicates in this message to his ex-girlfriend where to find her Christmas presents and deeds over his flat and his possessions to her and then goes and takes his own life. You just have to think and ask yourself the question, what went wrong here? The world says we don't know. I do. You see, he looked to her. He raised her up that she might give him life, that she might cleanse him, that she might be the door that leads to the land that he's never known, the relationship that he feels maybe in the inside of his heart but is unreconciled. And he thought it would be her who would lead him there. But in the end, she was just a girl. And imagine the pain that this girl is fearing, feeling of having to play God and be mantled with the role of God to this man. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and he's saying to us, nothing else will do. No car, no possession, no person, no political party. If it be raised up, will bring you a cleansing, will bring you to reunion, will bring you to God. 
And so the question I have for you, my friends, is simply this. What are you lifting up on the cross? We can nail a lot of things to a cross, can't we? But would they get up and die for you on their own? Even if they could, do they have the power to rebirth you into a living hope? If you continue to look to the things of this world to bring you life, to bring you hope, to bring you birth, you will never find peace. And you will never find the door, the path that leads to life. But praise God, the gift of life has been given. For unto us a son is born, a child is born, a son is given. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Exceptional Counselor, Mighty God. Jesus is the one who has come, who might die, that we might live, who might go into the earth, that we might ascend from the grave, who might bring heaven down, that we might experience a sort of homecoming. We live in this earth perched in the middle between perdition and salvation. But Jesus tells us, when coming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. I want to bring up my final point, which I think may be the most powerful of them all. Why does God do it? We're so cynical and jaded, aren't we? Somebody does something nice for us, we immediately start to ask the question, what's in it for them? What's the catch? Where's the, the deal, the shell game? What am I missing? But Jesus explains to Nicodemus not only what he wants, not only that he's the one who's come to fulfill his desire, but why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. It's a comparison, isn't it? So loved. So loved the world that what? It's like there's a balance here, isn't there? The world and Jesus and God's love sitting on one end and the value he gave to God's, to the world that he made, to the people in it, that he so loved this world that he gave his one and only son. We must remember that God is three, but God is one. God the Father gave the Son. God the Son was willing to be given. But Jesus isn't one-third of God. And God the Father is not one-third of God. And God the Spirit is not one-third of God. But rather, each one of the persons of God are fully God. God so loved the world that God gave God. He gave himself, all of himself. I have three sons and a daughter. Some of you have children. What do you value so much that you would be willing to give them? Think about that. And even more than that, think about this. 
that Jesus is saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But the son hasn't been given yet, has he? Not on the cross. Jesus is speaking of something as if it's already happened. And it already has because it's already been decided. In fact, the scriptures tell us that from the beginning of time, this was ordained to happen. I mean, maybe in a fit of passion to give yourself, to surrender yourself in that moment of bravery, of compassion. But a calculated millennia of time making a decision as life goes on and on that this is what I would do? We're not talking about some brief passing emotion but rather a love embedded in the bedrock of the heart of God. What are the consequences of this? What if this young man had known this? That there is a God who from the beginning of time had your name on his heart, had a gift for you, someone worth living for, Someone worth dying for. Someone who is willing to live and die for you. A romance, a passion, a union that is the deepest desire of the longing heart. The naked expression of this bashful idea that C.S. Lewis talked about. See, in the end, the gospel is scandalous. It's scandalous in that it speaks of a love and a heart of God that almost makes us turn away. Not that we're so bashful of it, but so embarrassed of it. For God so loved the world. For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. I conclude with this thought. Maybe you're like Nicodemus. Maybe you kind of snuck in here under the cover of night. But God has come to meet you, to tell you and to show you unequivocally. You think you are seek seeking me, but I've sought you and been seeking you and will ransom you to myself, for I will be satisfied with no less than you, even if it costs me death on the cross. The greatest gift of Christmas although he gives us hope and joy and peace, is the gift of love. For the greatest of these is love. May you treasure this love, experience this country, even now, be able to speak of it, long for it, and enjoy with anticipation its coming. For every moment it draws nearer. And the sound of our Father's voice becomes louder. This is the hope of Christmas and the certainty of our Savior. Praise God for such a wonderful gift. Let's pray. Jesus, you know our hearts. You came that we might have life and have it to the full. 
You came that we might experience the love of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. You have washed us who believe in you. You've cleansed us and given us a new name. And we live with one foot in each world. Let us put our weight on the world where you are king. And let us put our hopes in nothing less than you. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.